Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 272 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode, I talk to Mark Laframboy of Lightning Rod Games about their puzzle platformer, A Fold Apart, which, by the way, is out at the time of release of this podcast, which is nice, isn't it? It's almost as if we planned it. Anyway, uh, Chris, from, from the past, if you'd be so kind. Thank you. Mark. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Okay. Well, my name is Mark LaFromboise. I'm one of the co-founders of Lightning Rod Games. And my general role on the team is uh, game design and business development. Well done. You've answered the first question. Yay. You've identified right. your name, <laughs> who you are, and what you do for a living. See? It's, it, it's like every video game. It starts off real easy. But then. That's right. Then. You, you halfway through you'll be going, Chris, I can't do it. I can't. I just can't. Can we stop? That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. So the next question. How did you make you start making flashy lighty video games? Alright, well, um my very first job in industry was at a studio in Vancouver, BC in Canada, uh called Propaganda Games, which was a Disney owned uh AAA studio. So my very first gig was doing developer support, which is basically uh, integrated QA uh, for their ill-fated Pirates of the Caribbean RPG. So there is some gameplay videos, I think, now that got released since it got cancelled, but it was called um, Pirates of the Caribbean Armada of the Damned. And so I joined that team. I had a 16-week contract, and six weeks into my contract, the game got cancelled. So just that was kind of just an aside. I have to say this because I find it. Yeah. There was a period of time where that series of films and franchise was everywhere. Oh yeah. Then, I mean, yeah. I don't know how many films. I mean, I watched the fourth one, I think. I mean, I said five now, if I yeah, remember correctly. I don't I think said, I watched the, no, the third one. It, um, <laughs> definitely, no pun intended. Actually, no, sorry, pun intended. That thing definitely chopped the shark massively. Oh, um, 100%, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> There it is. Someone actually yeah. had to drag that franchise out and put it out of its misery out of the back. Going, I, I think, I think, basically, someone tapped on the shoulder. I think, I think, I think you're done. Well, it just, you know, you just get your coat. I think you're done. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Okay, just off your off your pop. Go on. There you go. And everyone just remembers the first two films, and that'll be that. Cool. Yeah. Because yeah. the first one was hilarious. Anyway, so oh, okay. you were saying, great. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So so that was the way I started in the industry. Is six weeks after I started my first job, the, the game got canceled and I got laid off. <laughs> so um, kind of a rude awakening to how the game industry works. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I did after that was. Uh, nice thing about that was Disney actually paid out the rest of my contract. So I ended up working six weeks of the 16-week contract and got paid for 10 weeks afterwards. So it was kind of cool. Um, and I decided that I was going to kind of take advantage of that extra 10 weeks of, of I guess, as insurance, I guess, would be a decent word for it, and just see if I could work at a smaller studio. Um, and there was, a, there was a studio in, in Vancouver that was hiring designer, which is really what I wanted to be doing. Um, but they weren't able to pay up front. They would, it was going to be back pay based on, like, they were pitching the game, and if they got the funding, um, they would be able to pay back. So I was like, well, I got 10 weeks. I'm like, I'm already getting paid for these 10 weeks, effectively, so let's 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 give it a shot. And that was really cool, because I got a lot of interesting experience, like, writing design docs and, like, pitch docs. for. Uh... So in Canada, we have um, a, a funding program called the Canada Media Fund, which is actually partially how our game of Fold Apart got funded as well. And so the studio was trying to write a pitch for to the the federal government uh, funding program. And so I got to learn a little bit how that worked and, and all that stuff, which was which was pretty helpful. Unfortunately, they didn't get the funding, so I had to look for something that was a little bit more lucrative um, in the sense of I would be able to actually get paid for the work I was doing. Uh, so I went to another small studio in Vancouver where they were working on pitches for a specific business partner. And we, I actually thought those games were pretty good. We worked on, we worked on three different pitches for things that they wanted and they decided just to not move forward with any of the projects, like from either uh, like the studio I was working at or like anyone else. And they just kind of killed the project that they're working on. So, so between August, 2010 and June 2011, I had worked at three different jobs and got laid off twice. <laughs> you, you, and you, so, you were killing games left, right, and center. I know, pretty much. It was like, a, nothing comes out. It was like, let's hire them. Mark because we want to cancel this game. Yeah. You so that was, that was pretty for, interesting. For, for so many uh, was, games, yeah. That was the time where the Vancouver... So in Canada, at the time, Vancouver was kind of like the big hub of video games. And that was really... I would say that that year, 2010 to 2011, is really where it switched. Now Montreal is, I would say, the biggest the biggest hub in Canada. Yeah. And even Toronto is getting pretty big now too. So that was kind of where that transition was happening. And anyway, so I was like ten ten months in. I'm like, all right, well, that's three different jobs. I got some really great experience. I got to do a little bit of design. I got to do a little bit of QA. I got to do a little bit of production work, um, like doing an assistant producer on some of the projects as well at the at the third studio. Mm-hmm. So I got yeah. to learn a little bit of everything. But I was like, well, I really want to work in games, like the industry still. So I want to take a look around. Um, so I applied to pretty much everywhere, every studio in Vancouver and Montreal. I I think I had one interview. Um, at one place in Montreal. And then I was like, you know what? I really liked like the work environment with Disney at Propaganda. I thought the way that Disney treated their employees was cool. There's a lot of really neat perks that you get as a full-time employee at Disney. I thought I was like, well, that would be kind of cool. So I applied to one place in the U.S., and it was the it was Disney's um, Facebook and like free-to-play studio, Playdom, in, in Palo Alto, California. So that was the only place I applied in the States, and I was end up getting an interview there and a job offer 
uh, to be a junior game designer on some of the projects there. So I ended up moving down to California for a bit to work at Disney. And that was like summer of 2011. Mm. And so um, that was, I worked there for about a year and a half. And that whole time, like, so, so my co-founder at Lightning Rod, uh, Steven, and I, we met each other in university. And so we had known each other at that point for, I think, eight years. And we were actually, he, he ended up coming out to Vancouver to work. So we were living together for a bit, too, um, while we were both there. And the whole time we were like, you know, we really want to get some industry experience. Let's learn how other companies run so that we can start our own studio. And so he was working at the Electronic Arts Motion Capture Studio in Vancouver, um, and, and I was working at Disney. And at, at the end of 2012, we're like, you know, let's we're going to go home for Christmas. Or we, we both come back to Ontario for Christmas, and we're going to give our notice like well in advance because we both really really liked our jobs, but we really wanted to start our own studio. And so we're like, we have to pick a drop dead date, or we're just never going to start it because we just like what we're doing. And so we picked. You said end of 2012, we're going to come home, and then we're going to stay home, and we're going to start the studio at the beginning of 2013. And and that was what we did. So um, yeah. that was really neat. And so at that point, um, we we had heard about this program starting in Montreal, uh, which was a video game incubator called Execution Labs. And they were taking uh, applications for, for indie teams that wanted to make free-to-play mobile games um, and to come like work with them in their, in their incubator in Montreal. And it was starting in February of 2013. So we were like, well, that's convenient. We're just starting out. That was kind of, we were looking at mobile because we, we, like I had some experience with free to play and, um, and mobile seemed like it was, it was pretty accessible at the time. And so we ended up going out to, to uh, Montreal for six months to kind of be part of their incubator. We worked on, um, we worked on a free to play game where it was, it was, it was a neat idea. I just, I, I think that was kind of the year again, <laughs> this is bad, just bad timing on our end. It was just like, uh, that was the year that I would say indie free to play games really kind of started having struggling a lot because that was like when Candy Crush came out, I think that was also the year like Clash of Clans came out. So all these like really big um, free-to-play games that were being done by like bigger studios with a lot more marketing push and stuff like that were, were really starting to eat up a lot of the market share on, on mobile. Um, and so we, we made a multiplayer game where it was called Henchman. And you're basically, it was a turn-based tactics game where each player played as a supervillain. And so you had like an army of henchmen and like gadgets and traps and stuff like that. And you would take turns going back and forth. Uh, almost a little bit like, uh, there was a game at the time called Hero Academy that was like that, or like, uh, chess by mail almost, where it was like, you take your turn and then you wait for the other person to take their turn and you'd kind of go back and forth that way. Um, and you could have multiple games running at once, but we were, we were having a lot of time, hard, hard times with like games weren't getting completed and we we're trying to think of ways to solve that. And we did like a test launch on Android in the Philippines and we just weren't seeing the numbers that were like to get these numbers to be where we want them and make this game successful. It was just going to take probably more time and money than we had available to us. So at that point we were just like, let's, let's just put that IP aside and we might come back to it at some point, but um, let's go work on stuff that we really feel more passionate about, which for Steven and I were really these narrative based linear games. It's something that we really both enjoyed when we were growing up. Like, uh, one of the things that we connected over the most when we, when we first met was our, our kind of mutual love for, for the LucasArts adventure games. Um, especially like Grim Fandango was like the one that we both played when we were kids and we're like, we want to make games. Like, that was awesome. <laughs> so, and then I, I, I grew up with basically PC. So I played like, um, Secret of Monkey Island. Uh, I played all of the Sierra adventure games like King's Quest and stuff like that. And that was always kind of the inspiration for me. Um, cause I never, I never actually owned a console until I was, 
on my own. Um, like when I was like 18, I think Xbox 360 was the first the first actual console I I owned for myself. Uh, so I was always playing PC games when I was growing up. Mm. So yeah. speaking for myself, because I'm really old, the first one I had was 1981, and that okay. was the Intellivision. Yeah. Oh, nice. I didn't have oh, that's Atari. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you said <laughs> that because like, oh wait, the Intellivision. That thing was amazing. Yes, it was. It was yeah. way ahead of its time. The controller was terrible, but it was still still had 16 points of movement. I'm just saying. But yeah, it was. Oh, it had the world's first god game on it. Um, Utopia. Yeah, that's right. It was just amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> but yeah, console games and stuff. Oh, I don't know. Uh, love, love. Uh, I had a um, love hate relationship with them in the in the 80s, but when I managed to be engaged with them in the 90s when uh, the PlayStation arrived. But that's enough about me. <laughs> you. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's quite a storied history. And you, you, you said you <laughs> latched on to you latched on to narrative games like the Lucas. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, Loom. Yeah, exactly. Was one of the first ones I played. I think Monkey oh, Island. That's a great game. Well, I yeah. didn't have a PC. I had an Amiga, so I was playing it on those initially. Okay. And, then, and then I didn't uh, transfer to PC until '95 when Windows '95 arrived because okay. uh, I just didn't like DOS. I don't know. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a great thing to. To, to, to fo- and then obviously you then made more titles based on that or that kind of thing yeah well I mean that was the inspiration so we really kind of were drawn to this idea of like what are the games that we like playing and it was like well we like games with really cool stories um, I, we both like puzzle games like so stuff like um, Braid and Fez and The Swapper and things like that where it's like this these puzzle games that have like a nice strong like overarching story that goes with them uh, brothers brothers two sons that's another one that we both really yeah. like the, the swapper was yeah that's dark no one knows the great story yeah sorry i know it's, it's been out for many many years but i don't care i'm not going to reveal yeah. what happened oh god yeah. sorry see look you just remind me of it now oh, yeah. what have you done mark and the, the anyway. puzzle mechanics are great too. Like it was just—it's yeah. just a really interesting game, and yeah, right. and that was the type of stuff that we liked playing at the, um, especially like when we started brainstorming game ideas. Mm. And um, so one of the things for me was while I was working at Disney in California, um, my significant other at the time was still living in Ontario. So we we're basically like a continent, like three time zones apart from one another for a year and a half. Mm. And so we were living long distance, and I'm like. That's like there's a lot of emotional ups and downs that you go through when you're when you're living apart, and I was like that would be a really interesting story. Like it's not something you see in media in general. Like you don't see it even in like television or or movies, and like especially not games. So I was like, well, that'd be kind of cool to tell a story about a long distance relationship. But I wanted, I was like, but it's it, it feels better when the mechanics, like game mechanics and the story, kind of mesh together really well right so those are the games that we really wanted i'm like i don't know how, how do you represent a long distance relationship as as gameplay and so that sat in the back burner for for years like that was an idea that when we first started the studio in 2013 i was telling steven i'm like i really want to make a game of a long distance relationship but i don't know how we're going to build it in a way that's going to be like like good because they like, will have like gameplay mechanics that match it and so it just sat in the back burner for for years and then um i think it was 20 14 or 2015, um, Stephen and I went to GDC, and our favorite session has always been the experimental gameplay workshop. So we had gone to it that year, and like the next day, like we were, we were kind of just having breakfast um, at a restaurant before we, we got our flight. 
And I was just like, okay, that was really expiring. Like, what are some cool mechanics that... So I put him on the spot. I was like, okay, Steven, what's the mechanic that no one's ever made before in a video game? Because, <laughs> you know, that's that's a reasonable question that puts someone yeah. on the spot for and yeah. make them come up with. But he actually, he, I don't know I don't know what he was inspired by in the in the, the restaurant, but he, he looked around and he was like, what about like the back of a Mad Magazine where you have like a picture and you fold it and then you make another picture? And I was like, oh, oh that's interesting. That, yeah. I, I, as a young... Young child, my oldest yes. brother, older oldest brother. I'm the youngest of of many siblings. Uh, he uh, he used to buy this game magazine. Okay, and uh, I remember Spy vs. Spy and stuff. And yeah, and uh, seeing the uh, I remember seeing the spoof of Star Wars. Uh, it's that old. <laughs> it's that long ago. And nice. you get a fold the fold out. I love those. Yeah, the back, where it's like you yeah. have this picture, and then they fold it, and it's usually like a joke or whatever, yeah, and yeah. it's like yeah. it's the punchline is after you fold it. And I was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know how it's a game, but I like the idea of the folding paper, because like, you don't really yeah. see games based on folding paper either. No. Um, so that just kind of sat, that kind of got added to the other back burner. And so um, I would say probably, I think it was like three months later, I was just kind of sitting around, and I'm like, oh, I have it. I got it. So I called Steven, because we work remotely, and... I was just on a video chat with him. I'm like, I got it. And he's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. So I had like a piece of grid, a grid paper and I drew out a level. And the original concept I had was we could represent a long distance relationship on a piece of paper because if you have a character living on one side and the other character is living on the other, they're effectively in two different worlds. Like they can't get to one another, which is what it's like when you're living apart. But if you fold that paper in half, you can like merge their two worlds together and it gives them a path to, to combine and, and, and actually like reunite, which is what it feels like you want to do. Like you just wish you could like mash your physical locations together when you're apart from someone that you, that you care about. Yeah. And, and I was like, that's, that's the concept. It's like, let's make a puzzle game where you're taking these two characters that are on different parts of the level and mashing and like folding the paper and like merging the two platform, like platforms from one side to another and, and letting them walk across it. And uh, Steven saw it and he was like, yes, that's, that's a game. Maybe we can make this. <laughs> so that I was, must confess so, when I first saw it and you're yeah. going to go, what? I mean, but <laughs> bear with me. But when I first saw it at PAX, whatever PAX it was, doesn't matter. <laughs> when I first saw it, I went, oh, that's kind of like what the... I think it was Sam Neill, the actor, in Event Horizon, describing hyperspace. And he was basically took, oh, okay. he took a piece of paper, and then he said, there's two points either side, and I put a hole there, and I put a hole there, and they're too far apart, right? Well, yeah. if we actually fold space like this, I can then just thread through these two points, going through them, these two distant points, instantaneously. And that's what I thought fold apart was kind of based on obviously not because you might not have seen a horizon maybe you have i, I have not no i haven't no that's interesting there's, there's yeah. a whole thing he goes on about how oh that's cool health. i'll have to look up the clip then yeah it's a it's a dark horror film that goes very wrong for everyone because they shouldn't <laughs> it's it's a it's still i'm not sure if it holds up now but it's still it's a it's a thing it's a okay. it's, yeah but uh, that's nice. what i thought it was based on but then it's just me you know um i absorb far too much sci-fi clearly <laughs> I mean, we actually did play. So this is actually one of those things where the original pitch was we're going to make it about a long distance relationship about this couple that are are living apart. And then uh, I think we kind of were thinking like, oh, is that too niche? And we actually did some brainstorming at one point, and we entertained the idea probably for a month or two. We just didn't really like it of like what are the themes that we could make the folding mechanics. So one of them was like sci-fi, where it's like you're creating portals and like 
going through space and like using it like a wormhole. Although I just I haven't seen the Event Horizon that clip of the paper, but that was basically no. He, he, he took a poster from the wall yeah. and just tore, tore it off and, and oh, okay. put holes in it and went. This I mean, is folding space. And there you go. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. Cool. So that was one of the ideas we had. This idea of like you're hopping between all these portals and like yeah. you were an intergalactic, I think delivery service was like the, the idea that we were thinking about. Sort of like Futurama, but with portals. Mm-hmm. And then um, another one that we played with at one point was almost like a top-down dungeon crawler, like a, like a Zelda-like, where the the paper would be flat on the paper and you'd be like top down facing the top, and then you'd folding the top and bottoms together. Mm-hmm. Um, we just never, we just never liked it. We were like, no, this is getting away from what we really liked. And so then we we started playing around with even the idea of like, what if we make it like these kind of ambiguous characters that are lifelike, but they're still like people can kind of like um, imprint themselves on. Sort of like the, the inspiration there was like Wally and Eva, right? Yeah. Where it's like they're they're anthropomorphic, but they're still robots and they're not they're not human. And so we played around with that idea for a little bit too. Mm. Of these like two aliens living in two different worlds and becoming friends, yeah. and I'm like, nah, you know, let's just let's just lean into it. Let's just go all the way into like let's just make a a love story game make, make, <laughs> about make an a actual couple. Relationship. Yeah, that's you can relate to that. There's the key yeah, word. You completely yeah. relate to it. But I think we should keep our powder dry because we're delving into sure. the second half a bit. Sorry, yeah, yep. that's cool. It happens every show. It's a billion. It's just <laughs> wonderful. But I have to move on to the next question because this one's okay. right. Actually, it's going to be easy for you because I know exactly how you can answer it. You probably already have actually, but I need to answer it. And it's the it's known as the dreaded third question to many developers when they hear it. Like I can't answer that. It's not offensive. It's just really quite nebulous. So here we go. Um, as as Lightning Rod Games, as we, as in a, as a representative of this creative endeavor or people who create things. Uh, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Well, I think, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit mm. where it's for Stephen and I, the co-founders and like for us, it was always, we really liked this idea of, of games as a way of telling unique and interactive stories. And as like a, as a narrative device, like that's something that you can tell, stories in a different way in games than you can in any other type of medium. And I think that's always been the thing that kind of grabbed us and, and kept us interested in, in playing games when we were, when we were younger. And it's like when we talk about like the things that we want to work on, like even now when we're starting to think of like stuff that we're going to work on after Fold Apart, like that's always been kind of one of the key things. And I think that's fundamentally, we're still trying to figure out exactly what it is to be a lightning rod game, like what, what it means for a game to come out under that label. Yes, um, but I yes. think I think this idea of, of interesting story mechanics, or, or sorry, interesting interesting stories with kind of like unique gameplay mechanics is something that we really like uh, having done on Fold Apart. And if we can find a way to continue to do that with our future projects, I think we'd be really happy as a studio. So I like to, that's a wonderful thing to to aspire to and to say, look, this is what we do, you know. And there's many studios out there started doing that now, making their mark and saying, this is our jam. This is our sound, if you like. This is yeah. what we do. And the best example I can think of is Supergiant, who've been on the show, I'm happy to say. Yes. And yeah. they're, they're lovely, and you know, I've got a lot of time for them. And they have that same, mm. like, yeah, this is not, you know, this is there's a vibe for us. We're doing very different games. I mean, they've got a, a roguelite yeah. at the moment called Hades. Um, and that's... You know, I'm going to get them on the show. When it's finished, it's not finished yet, so the access still. Um, and, uh, you know, they've still got their vibe to it, and they've got their, their brand. Like, that's a, that's a super giant game. Why, you can see. 
Look at it. You can feel it. Look at it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's that's what you want to do. And as regards to theme informing play, I do a lot lot when I'm describing board games to people, how to play them. For the most part, there is a theme there. And sometimes, most of the time, the theme actually does inform the play. He's like, well, why are you doing this? Well, because of this, you know, you, there's a, this cargo can't go there because you haven't got this ready yet. And it just it just makes sense. The amount of times when I'm describing how to play a board game, I'm saying, because it makes sense, right? Yeah. You can't do that yet because it doesn't make sense, you, you know. And um, that's really, when you have that lovely symbiosis between the two, the theme and the, and the function, that's when you've got the sweet spot. I do believe you have that with a fold apart. Cool. But, uh, Thank you. Yeah. So next question. And this one's another toughie. I told you it gets harder as we go along. <laughs> Sorry. But this one is going to go, okay. no, no, I'm not answering that. Not again, not offensive because you just, you, just, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually. So here we go. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? I say Tim Schafer. Um, I mean, those, he was he was the designer who really made a lot of the games that I fell in love with when I was growing up. So like yeah. uh, Grim Fandango, was, you know, he worked on he worked on parts of Monkey Island. Uh, Day of the Tentacle was another game I really liked. I really also um, was really stoked when Psychonauts came out. I really enjoyed playing that on the. I think I played it. I don't think I played it when it first came out because I didn't have an original Xbox. So I did play it on the 360 when they re-released it. And um, yeah, it's just I I don't know. I just always really like his ability to create like these really unique worlds. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting. Like I just, I love his world building and it's, it's something that I always kind of find inspirational. Um, and I think that's, yeah, I would say that's probably, probably between Tim Schafer and then probably Roberto Williams for the King's Quest series, which was the other one that was really formative when I was growing up. So now two wonderful choices there. Um, Tim's an exceptionally clever man, by the way. Yeah. People don't really, know that i've seen him do some extraordinary things i see him do i think he did the he read the credits to a tv show rather doing a rubik's cube he wasn't even looking at the cube at all you know um Funny. yeah he's just look it up on youtube he does extraordinary things um he's one of those polymaths you know, those, those people can do to his hand almost anything um he doesn't really believe in limits and that's that's rare Rare in most people. Most people keep on checking themselves. Like, no, no, I'm, I'd lack the uh, the talent to do that, and he doesn't recognise that kind of concept. He says, "No, I can do that," you know, and uh, he does it. But you're right. His uh, his wit and uh, his intellect is is quite exceptional, and it, 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 he he does his best to infuse it into the games he makes. Sometimes it works. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's fine. Yeah, I, th- I say it's mostly hit, but yeah, it's like, and that's the other thing. I was like, humor in games. I mean, it's it's gotten better now, but like back when those games, especially the LucasArts era, like humor in games was still fairly rare. Like it was, it's funny where it's like it's just like a basic thing that you write, like writing comedies is a thing, but games really hadn't latched onto it until like I would say more recently, where it's been like there's a lot more yeah. now that are funny, but like he was, he kind of helped spearhead that. Um, like the whole LucasArts team, I would say, was one of the one of the really key proponents of of adding like like injecting humor into video games, which was really cool. Indeed, and prior to that, the humor was either very crass and poor. Or, yes, or, that's and, true. Or just, yeah. just the slapstick. I mean, <laughs> I, I remember. Yeah, you get to like uh, shoot Larry. Yeah. I think was like that was considered 
comedy, video game comedy at the time, right? So yeah, yeah, custard pie kind of like stuff. But yeah. I do remember as a kid, and this is this has happened in the UK, I think exclusively. There was a game. I'm not kidding. This is in mid '80s. It was called "Don't Buy This." It was a. It was actually had okay. on the front, "Do not buy this." Do not. Just leave it alone. <laughs> and it was a collection of very, very, very bad games. And you go, well, okay. And it was two pounds about. Well, about the time, I think it's about sort of five US dollars at the time. Um, maybe even more for Canadian dollars. But you know what I mean? The exchange rate. But it was about it's about five bucks. Uh, but in the UK, it was two two pounds, and uh, it was very little money uh, back then. And uh, it's like, yeah, just, oh, oh, it can't be that bad. No, no, it was. No, it really was. That's terrible. No, but I warned you. <laughs> I warned you. Don't say we didn't warn like you. We that. said don't buy this, and you did it anyway. It's that board game, isn't there? There's a board game called like we didn't play test this game. I think. Yeah, we we didn't play test this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a card game. I've actually got it. I've actually got yeah. one of the earlier copies. And... I haven't played it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it basically, fun. if you play a card, it's a, is your name Stephen? Yes, you've won. Oh, okay. excellent. <laughs> it's just, just, you know, do you have a card? Do you have a card with a star on it? Yeah, you've won. Yeah, <laughs> it's just rubbish card game. It's just like you, we didn't play yeah. test this. It's just satire. It's a satire. And again, something something hard to do in in video games. Yeah. Well, but you're right. Now we've got post Stanley Parable. We're fine. Yeah, we're fine. Because that that was it. That was the. I don't the, think. Yeah, I don't think there can be a better satire of the no. entire video like, game medium. Pinnacle's been reached at this point. The fact that the latest Doom is laughing at itself. Come on. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the whole point of the Doom guy being just unstoppable. Because he is to the point where everyone's terrified of him. Well, that makes sense because he's yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So, so last question for the first half. See, you made it. Well done. It's going to get right. worse. From, yeah, yeah. See, you made it for the for the fifth question <laughs> of the first half. Here we go. Okay. I have to ask this because we're talking about video games in the podcast. So I'm legally obliged to ask it. Here we go. Mm-hmm. What are you playing right now? What am I playing right now? Uh, well, you know what? I'm still working what on. What you plan to if after you've what I plan to play? Yeah. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I haven't played as many games in the last couple of weeks, but no, no. Um, I just picked up Animal Crossing, which I've never I've never played an Animal Crossing game before, so I'm I'm kind of excited to okay. see what that's about. That sounded well, interesting. I'll Everyone on my team has been playing it. I'll send and talk, my about it during... and you can get all sorts of fruits and stuff. Oh, awesome. Give you a bit of a head okay. start. And like, what yes, we had a whole conversation at the at like our daily meeting. Everyone else on the team, all all five other people oh, are yeah. playing it. And they're like asking each other what fruits yeah. they're growing on their islands. Yeah. So I'm like, what, what's your I'm like I, now I know how my parents feel like listening yeah. to me talking about games. I'm like, I don't know what you guys are talking about at all. No, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's so I picked fair, it up. So. Yeah, we, we should do. <laughs> so I'm gonna probably play that this weekend. Yes, but uh, and and what else? So Animal Crossing. Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a it's kind of a comfort blanket thing. Anything else yeah. you're gonna plan to play? Hollow Knight's probably the big one. Uh, I still oh, yeah. I'm still working my way through that. Yeah. I poke at that every so often. I mm. I, I just I love. I love those games where where they really reward exploration like that. It's where the the world itself is telling the story and stuff like that. I really appreciate that type of storytelling too, which is mm. which is really cool. Um, I have to finish the first story. I kind of I kind of stopped. I think I don't remember what it was. There's a part in the first story where you're like walking on the ceiling and then your controls are all backwards, and I just I just stopped playing at that point. I'm like I should I should go back and finish it. I think that's I don't know how far through the game it is. I'm hoping it's over halfway. 
Um, but I would like to play that so I can play the new one because the new one looks gorgeous. <laughs> it looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. yeah. That game is deceptive. You start off going, "Oh, this is a simple little platform." No, it's <laughs> yeah. not. No, but, but you feel like that water, the water level, I think, is really where you just realize, like, no, this is this is this is a very, very difficult game that <laughs> they yeah. just make it look really cute. It just looks like a really standard, not standard. That's really insulting because platforms are difficult to make. Good ones. Um, we had one hmm. called uh, Wonderling, which I highly recommend, by the way. Looks like the Zealand okay. story, but it isn't. Um, oh. uh, it's great. You play one of the little dudes, or little like drones that just go backwards and forwards, and then he's he given the power to jump, and then everything changes for him. Oh, okay. Um, he uh, and it's just, um, yeah, that the, Hollow Knight. It's one of those games where you think, oh, you think you know about this? You think you got this? You haven't got a clue. It's just yeah. like Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight's like that. Oh, you think yeah. this is a little simple NES game? Ha <laughs> ha! No. and I like the reason I like it's so funny I played Dark Souls games and Bloodborne and stuff like I always try to play them and then I get to a boss and like the bosses just I I love everything other than the bosses in those games and it's it's frustrating for me because I love the exploration like walking around finding all the secrets like learning all the enemies types and like their moves and stuff like that is always really really fun but then I get to the boss and I just like I don't want to fight something for and the 20 minutes right without no, making mistakes no. and i just i just burn out i always hit the boss and i stop playing yeah. i find like hollow knight solves that where it's like the, the fights are a little quicker and so like even when you hit a boss it's like oh okay i feel like i was close like and i feel like I, i'm not going to be fighting this boss for like half half an hour or whatever right like it's i'm going to be able to just you know if i'm playing well i'm going to be able to beat it in like maybe five ten minutes which is which is good for like terms of like that intense focus that it requires to play those games well mm. um i find holland it just kind of nails that that timing much better than i found some of the other games did so yeah yeah no good shout good shout i play it on the pc but uh i do have a link box so i occasionally throw it up onto my big tv in my living nice. room um yeah. but i have to have a wired connection everyone if you try and do that don't can't do the wi-fi <laughs> don't 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 try you gotta have a wired uh, uh when, if you've got that you're laughing. It's great. Um, but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's enough for the first half. See, we made it. Now we're going to go on to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into a fold apart. we can do the delving of deepness for fold, uh, fold Apart this is the Zeroth question as regular listeners will know like the 
Uh, Asimov reference? Zeroth question? Basically, it's a request. It's not a, qu- not a question. Okay. Can you tell us what is a fold apart? Sure. So a fold apart is a puzzle game in a world of folding paper. And so it explores the kind of emotional ups and downs of this couple living in a long-distance relationship from one another. And it explores their kind of their feelings of living apart from one another and also the way that they communicate with one another. So a lot of our storytelling is done through text messaging. And inevitably with text messaging, there's going to be miscommunication. And that the way that the characters kind of handle that miscommunication, maybe one person said something that they thought was innocent, the other person takes it in a poor way, or um, maybe you just can't reach the other person, you like really desperately need to talk to them, and you're just having a bad day, and you just aren't able to, and they're just not around, or, or potentially not really in the mood to talk to you. And it just kind of explores those emotions of, of two different people living apart from one another, and what it feels like for each of them individually uh, while they're in that type of relationship. Yeah, they're blissfully happy. I've got to say. Uh, and also, everyone, I've got to say it, the transparency and stuff. I love the fact that there's four options for the couples you want to be. You don't have to be heterosexual. It can be, you know, homosexual. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay? And that, that was very important that you did that. I'm happy that you did. And I have one to say. One thing you know. to be- Yes. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. Yeah. So one thing I actually do too, um, we weren't able to do it in every language just because some of the restrictions of language, mm-hmm. but um, in English, uh, we actually don't use any gender pronouns in the game either. So we don't actually ascribe any genders to the characters. We kind of just have them look like, and you can choose however you want. Because a lot of times they're talking is it's always second person. It's always like you and I. Yeah. And so in English that works. Um, and unfortunately, some of the, especially the Latin languages, we weren't able to to, to do that as well, but um, but it works in English, which is and some other languages it works with too, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, it's always to go back to board games again, but my biggest bugbear is the uh, default pronoun of male. Uh, yeah, and mm. uh, they have a lot of it in instruction manuals and even on cards. I've had to edit cards on the fly when I'm reading them out to a player, looking up, and it's a woman. Yeah. And I'm not sort of saying, well, I'll say they then because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, mm. because it's inclusive, everyone. It's not. It's it's actually bad grammar to use the male pronoun. But for some reason, hundred years ago, it was enshrined yeah. that. Oh no, no. The only the only reason we have male pronouns is because they're the only people who really matter, and that's basically. <laughs> yeah. So well, yeah. yeah. But if you actually go back to English in its heritage, they as a singular pronoun has been used for since the 1300s. Oh, sorry. Everyone. I actually did not. That's, that's yeah. 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 So. Anyone who says it's bad grammar is actually being ignorant. So, you know, you just have to point it out to them. Actually, no, it's been around for a very, very long time. English is a very odd language, and it's, it's, it's yeah. Anyway, um, I just wanted to say it's wonderful you've done that. But here's my first question to you. And we're going to talk about the theme a lot, but not yet, because I want to talk about mechanics, if I may. Sure. Knowing where the character is relative to the fold is vital, in my opinion, in my experience with a fold apart. If you know where they are relative to the fold, because you fold the the screen, basically, everyone. You have this, it's a 2D screen, of course, but you're actually folding the screen. It's, it's ingenious. Basically, it's glowing. The bits, the edges of the page where you can fold, and it's not always the right and left, by the way. It can be above and below and stuff. It's lovely. 
uh, and that creates a whole can of things. Um, but really, relative to where the fold is, um, that is the anchor, I believe, around which um, the fold apart was designed. Is this true? That's, I, I believe that's how the puzzles seem to be developed. You need to know where you, your, the character is, which you can control left and right, um, but that's all we can do relative to where the fold will be or is. Is this true? Yeah, I mean, every every puzzle, the objective is you're controlling one of the characters and you're trying to get to a specific part of the level. So in most cases, it's a star. So you, you have to try to get your character to the star on the paper. Um, sometimes it's just get to the next paper that's like adjacent to it. But yeah, fundamentally, yeah, it's always about where your player is and moving them to the right spot in the level. Yeah. And once you understand that, it makes it easier to comprehend. I'm not saying the puzzles become easier, no. But once you appreciate that, okay, I just need to know where the character is relative to the fold, whether on this side of the paper or the other side of the paper. Okay, hmm, wait a minute. And then suddenly the world starts to, <laughs> here we go, unfold. Sorry, can help that. Um, sorry. Uh, Second question. Spatial awareness, uh, along with uh, lateral thinking, is the order of the day for a fold apart. What visual cues do you offer to the player to encourage this way of thinking? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so currently, I would say, well, the spatial awareness, you mean like in terms of like how you can fold the paper? No. Or uh, Yeah. How you can fold the paper, the impact it has where you can do multiple folds. Okay. Which you can actually creep across and actually move a platform across, which is yeah. brilliant. Because, like, you know, you have these little <laughs> barriers appear. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to give away too much because I've played a lot of it. As it, it goes into it goes places, and I don't because it, it's really important because the content reveals the story and that sort of thing. And I just don't want to spoil anything for anyone. I'm trying to. Th- speak in abstract terms and which is what i've been sure. doing for years on this show I don't like giving away content too much but things happen and there are barriers and the things you have to get through and you, you it's just i just like to i know i think i know the answer to this question but what do you think you do to encourage the players to think look there's that that's interesting that's different <laughs> what, what what are the things that you do to encourage the player to go I need to focus on that and make sure I get I, I I deal with that. Right. Okay. So one thing we do in the game is I th- I feel like we we do a pretty good job of of layering the mechanics as we go. Um, so when the game starts, you can only fold, especially in the tutorials, uh, you can only fold certain edges. And so one of the ways that we we show which edges are foldable is we put like a glowing uh, like line, like a particle effect on just. The, the sides of the paper or the edges of the paper that can be folded. And so when the game starts, especially in a tutorial, like literally only one edge and sometimes only one side of the paper can also be folded. Uh, and we kind of like layer it on. So like next level, you can fold both sides of the paper simultaneously. And then later on in the game, you can fold also the top and bottom. And so we kind of start adding in these mechanics as you go and hopefully a way that is onboarding the player to, to kind of experiment within like what are the restrictions? Because a lot of times we actually started the game, you could fold all eight directions because like you could fold the corners and stuff like that, which we do have in the game, but 
much much later than we indeed were, yeah later. eventually it yeah. arrives but I'll just yeah. again I don't want to really... <laughs> I, I, I don't want to talk about on. mechanics <laughs> the no, mechanics, no, no, are no, the mechanics are fine yeah yeah <laughs> even still even still go on okay. But we did we did let players fold like some of those early like level two levels uh, with all eight directions all the time on both sides of the paper, <laughs> and, and people were like folding it and so like they would experiment because that's you have all these options you use them yeah, right yeah, so yeah. Uh, they would fold the paper and the paper would get really tiny and the characters would get covered up and it was all these little things and and that's kind of where you kind of start seeing it now there's some restrictions in the game where it's like you can't fold over the character because we want the character to always be visible like we don't want them to be covered up by a fold so now we have like a little uh, animation which it may or may not have been of our pack demos. I don't remember when we added it, but like now, if you fold up to a player, it will like vibrate the controller and be like, "No, I don't fold over me." Like, <laughs> they like they'll actually like play little animations that tell you to not fold yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, they get very stressed when you. Yes, like, <laughs> they're like, "No, yeah, what are you doing?" <laughs> crazy, so, crazy so that kind of helps. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So that kind of helps keep the solution space. I would say like manageable where it's like you know you can't fold over the player okay so you can't fold from certain directions you can only fold up to a certain point and if only certain edges are glowing then um you can only fold those ones so so a certain degree we kind of limit the amount of things that you can do but try to keep it so that the options are still wide enough or, or various enough that you can experiment within them and and so hopefully you start learning some of these cool mechanics like yeah like folding over from the same direction twice is something that becomes very very helpful uh for certain puzzles so we try to teach that a few times um i called, once that, we kind the, of uh, I called that a concertina move that's what I okay <laughs> yeah uh, my little head my strange little brain going oh that's like concertina if i was actually yeah. creating one I've started been doing a couple of folds, and that's what I was doing. I was like, "Well, I can just shift it across if I just fold it again." Yay! There it is. Yeah. Now there's I'm a lot of with... things that you can do when you start learning what, like yeah. negative understanding how negative space works with the folds is, I think, a key key component that when that clicks, um, that's helpful. Yeah, one of the great things about puzzle games when you think you've outsmarted it. I know you haven't, but you think you think you outsmarted it. It, I, I, and a fold apart happened. That happens a lot for me. It's up there with threes in that regard. Oh, cool! <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Hey, threes. Yeah, there's a game with zero narrative. Doesn't matter because it's threes. Stop it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. And everyone can take a drink. I mentioned threes again. I'm sorry, but it's a great game. Now, it is very good. Next question. Neither little character can jump or fall from a ledge. Yeah. Am I right in to assume this is part of an early decision to streamline the way in which the player interacts with a fold apart? Yeah, it was it was done for a few reasons. One, um, it kind of negated some of the puzzles. Like we like anytime you had a gap between platforms, if you would jump, you just jump over them. So yeah. part yeah. of our our whole thing is a lot of the puzzle solving is how do you connect platforms directly from one to another, and so getting rid of that gap is like really fundamentally what the puzzle is for, for some of them. And so we were like, well, we don't want to be able to do that, but also it ended up being helpful for when we start adding all these mechanics and we're, we're basically teaching an almost entirely new control scheme, which is its own tangent. Um, but on a controller, you have only so many buttons. So, so it was like, well, if we have a as a jump button, like we can't use a for other things. So we end up using a later in the game for like climbing, up blocks and stuff like that, which was helpful because, like, if you had to jump, well, I guess you could jump on the block, but um, it's helpful for like doing like mantling and stuff like that, or like committing a fold, and and it lets us do 
a little bit more it gives us a little bit more freedom for for the controller but fundamentally it was just to kind of make sure that you know we can use this idea of of gaps as obstacles in a way inside the puzzles and the only way we could do that is by not letting the players jump indeed but you do they do jump in a way by actually manipulating the folds in such a way that you bridge gaps yes you do manage to get them to hire planes in one (laughs) area without actually physically jumping but you're jumping them because they're moving on another plane on another side of the other side of the paper that is what i was talking about that is why I believe there is an essence of jumping there, but it's That's not fair. an actual jump. It's actually you manipulating the space. So they do move vertically. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can move vertically too, yeah. Yeah. It's just not in the more dynamic way of or of, of, of jumping. Uh, because, it, yeah, well, I'm to, that's the next part of the question. The next question is will lead on to that. But uh, what I was about to say, but, um, yeah, I, I found... It was very the one the key thing about puzzle games is not so much what you can do that's easy, it's understanding what you can't do, and then <laughs> once you understand what you can't do, the puzzles do become more straightforward for you to understand because if you're trying to do something that the game you know you can't do, then it's not the right solution. So, you know, and you can't jump. So, you know. Whatever you do, whatever solution you come up with, it has to be a flat plane that doesn't drop unless yep. it's a. Well, it can drop. It can. You can a slope. A slope's fine. You can go down a slope. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. But any jumps, gaps, sheer drops, nope, ain't gonna work. And once you understand that, it becomes more straightforward. But not to the point where it's easier. It's just that you have a greater appreciation and <laughs> understanding. Yeah, can't, can't stress that enough. Exactly. The oh, and even and even restricting yeah. the folds. Um, so like, with the, which edges can be folded? That was the other. That was another thing that we did, right? So like, yeah. you're not really worrying about gravity when you're, or, or you're not really worrying about like different mechanics if you can't fold from like different directions, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there's no fatalities. Can't die. No. Of course no. not. It's a love story. <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know. Um, I was thinking of a. Uh, yeah, it's not freaking like yeah, Bloodborne or something. It's not that. You know? <laughs> it's not about that. This is this is about connecting to people who are very far apart mm. and how their emotions are flowing. And um, this is the last question. Then so it leads on to that. Basically, the story in a fold apart is of two people very much in love. Mm. Can't stress that enough. And they've been separated. For a very long distance, so for over a year, one of them is an architect who's off um, designing or helping design a building in, in some far, far flung city, um, and the other is the person she's uh, or he or she or they, sorry, um, they're uh, they're uh, a teacher, uh, a, a notable one, but all those other things are not. Believe me, I'm not giving anything away. This is, this is the opening gambit. You'll soon figure this out. And they start having these conversations between each other. And they do the thing that we humans are great at doing by extrapolating meaning from a single word, which is not not at all correct and wasn't the intent at all. But texts having no emotions, all you've got is that three or four word sentence, which is apparently causing you extreme anguish for the next hour or so. 
uh, and believe me, I've been there. We've all been there. It's just human nature. Like, why did you say that? And then that emotion, that narrative, then informs the environment that you play in. So my question to you is this. How have you found developing the narrative along with the puzzles? And what has informed the other? Because I've found that the anxiety levels are quite harrowing to get through if I may say because I've been there I know what that feels like we've all been there because we're human we've all misinterpreted text and got massive neuroses some more than others I grant you but you know it's just like no we didn't mean that and there's, there's one point where very early on one of the, the the partners says something and and the other one says that's just just terrible and then starts having this massive crisis, which then eventually fades because it fades because um, there's a sense of um, uh, enlightenment and realisation that they're overthinking it. But that path from anxiety to realisation and uh, relief of stress, yet that tinge of anger going, why did they send that text like that? Um, is beautifully rendered in the puzzles. Well, I just want to ask... Is that an accident or is it a bit of design? It's a bit of both, honestly. I, like when we were coming up with the story, um, I was kind of coming up with just gameplay ideas independently, and it was like, what are things that we can do with the paper? Like all the different types of mechanics. Like what are what are things that we can do, like with folding and and obstacles or or things within the levels and things like that. And as we played them, and we, we'd play test them, and we'd kind of see which ones were harder or more more difficult for players to kind of understand, and then like what order we needed to teach things in, um, it kind of gave us a little bit of an idea of of what order we wanted to put the mechanics in the game. And we had like kind of an overarching story where it's like, well, we wanted to start, you know, it starts happier and it has some crisis crisis moments like later in the game and stuff like that right and then you know it's a it's a, it's a good general narrative arc where things get worse and better and, and there's a bunch of ups and downs and um some of the mechanics just kind of started making a lot of sense and i want to talk about a few of them and we do show them in the trailer so it's hopefully not too much of a spoiler but um so things like the emotions that the players feel is a little bit different so the architect is the one that moved away and so they're both feeling lonely but there's a little bit – I don't know if resentment's the right word, but there's a little bit of, like, the teacher feeling like, well, you're the one that moved. Like, you're the one that caused this to happen. It was ultimately your choice to do this, even though the teacher was supportive and continues to be supportive of, of the choice. It's just fundamentally it was – you know, there's those moments where you're like, well, you're the one that moved. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is fundamentally your fault. And so there's a little bit of anger, I think, and maybe a little bit of doubt about whether or not the relationship's going to work out. Um, whereas the architect – knowing that they're the ones that moved and also being a little bit less social than the teacher. Um, so they feel a little bit isolated. They're, they moved to this new city. They don't really know anyone um, and they feel kind of guilty. And so there's a lot of like this ideal of, of isolation and, and guilt. And so we were able to represent that a little bit in the mechanics themselves. So for example, um, early in the game, the teacher's feeling kind of doubtful or, or angry about the, the architect moving and we represent that as as obstacles in in the levels that you can't you can't walk past. You have to you have to fold over them to get around them. And we represent the like, kind of that anger with the architect as as using them as like city 
streetlights or um, walking signals that are like attacking or like reaching out and like swiping at the at the teacher. And it's like because she's seeing it almost or hey, I have the same problem sometimes because it's based on my own it's based on my own relationship. So I kind of I always kind of think like architect is as myself and like the teacher is like my significant other. So it's like. But I have to be careful with the because you can play as any gender. Um, so the teacher is saying like, well, they're upset and they see like the the city as almost like the not the enemy but kind of the the external uh, cause of of their their anguish. And so it's like represented as like the city is kind of encroaching on the the town in their mind and stuff like that. And then later in the game. Um, the architect, uh, one of their mechanics is this idea of, of blocks that you can like drop and push around. And it's like a heavy block where it's like, they're feeling guilty. So it's like, they have to like shove this block around and like move it. And it's like, it's their obligation of, of working on this building while still being apart from, from each other. And it, it kind of worked on a metaphorical level in a, in a really like fortuitous way, I would say, um, where it wasn't really like, we're doing this story, this part of the story and this mechanic. And it was, we layered out the mechanics or, or we laid out the mechanics in order and kind of noticed that certain ones worked really well. And the ones that were able to um, kind of be interchangeable in terms of like what we expected the difficulty, we were able to like apply to which character we felt was best representative of the emotion that they were feeling at the time. Yeah. And it's, um, it does a really good job of representing that. And, it's wonderful how they start to lighten up as they as the levels actually get lighter as they they realise that they're they're overthinking this and it's okay it's all right um, but so sometimes it isn't though sometimes they have uh, latched onto something that they do need to be concerned about and uh, that happens to, towards the latter part of the game but I'm not going to reveal too much mm. but um, Mark it's been wonderful having you on chatting about fold apart it's uh, but a fold apart is by lightning wrong games, lightning, lightning wrong, lightning lightning rod games. Um, where did the name come from, by the way? <laughs> um, I, I think Steve and I were coming up with a whole bunch of different ideas, uh, right. some of which were, were taking and some some weren't. And uh, it was just one of the names that we liked. It just it kind of was evocative of this coming together mm. of cool ideas, and I just yeah. thought it was kind of. Neat. And the the platforms that a fold apart is going to be on, I, I've. I've given up trying to list these because I got in trouble once. So please do tell me. What, what yeah, for sure. Come out. Yeah. So there, uh, the game's out today, uh, April seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be available on Apple Arcade. So all of the iOS, uh, Apple TV, and Mac with, through mm-hmm. Apple Arcade subscription, mm-hmm. and it's also out on Nintendo Switch and PC um, via Steam. Right. Uh, and any other. Platforms future. Yeah, um, it will be out on PS4 and Xbox. Um, unfortunately, okay. due to like, like some of the COVID nineteen stuff, a lot of the a lot of that stuff has kind of got backed up on some mm. of the console side. So yeah, we're we're still trying to work I... through the builds yeah. there. So yeah, but uh, no, uh, excellent. Uh, I've been playing it on the Windows PC, just for full disclosure. Uh, but I've been playing using my controller and um, my Xbox One Y controller, which sits here. It lights up. It's it's all right. It does the job. Um, but also having I have Apple Arcade as well um, because I have that. And this is a great, great service, which just like awesome game after awesome game. If you've got an Apple TV, you basically now have a video game console you never knew you had. So um, yeah. Again, Mark, great having you on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I know I did. I did. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. That was really, this was really fun. And uh, more than uh, you're more than welcome to to 
come on uh, again to chat about your next game, whatever that may be. I know there'll be okay. more <laughs> games coming your coming our way. We'll be here. Trust me. We've been here for awesome. over seven years now. We'll be here. Yeah. Um, cool. And uh, wish you the very, very best of luck with A Fold Apart. People need to play this game. It's great. It's great. Uh, and it'll get you away from the nooks just for a little bit. Just for a little bit. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, Mark, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.